Welcome to the Thomas Industry Update Podcast, actionable information for industry leaders. Hi, I'm Kathy Ma. I'm Sean Fitzgerald. And I'm Tony Uphoff. Welcome to the Thomas Industry Update Podcast. I'm Kathy Ma. A recent survey conducted by Parsable, a company that empowers frontline industrial workers with modern digital tools, revealed a number of fascinating insights into Gen Z's perception of the manufacturing sector. Today, we are joined by Parsable CEO, Lawrence Whittle, to learn more about Gen Z's perspectives on the industry, how the pandemic affected those perceptions, and what the future holds for the next generation of the industrial workforce. So, um, Lawrence, actually, before we begin, can you tell us a little bit about your company, Parsable, and what do you guys do? Yeah, absolutely. So Parsable is a, uh, an enterprise uh, cloud-based software company um, headquartered uh, here in California, where I am today, but with a, with a global footprint. And we have a modern digital tool, which is called Connected Worker. And what that basically means is we're providing a modern digital tool to frontline workers to enable them to understand what work should be done, what data could be captured to drive productivity, quality and safety focused on the industrial world. So frontline workers in the industrial world, which is manufacturing and supply chain predominantly. That's awesome. And what is really interesting is your platform, your companies about technology, data, interfacing with people. Speaking of which, you recently conducted an amazing survey about gener Generation Z's attitude towards manufacturing. Can you tell us a bit about the impetus behind running the survey? Yeah, absolutely. So. Um, we're a technology company that provides a, you know, a modern digital tool, but we fundamentally believe in humans. And so if you think about the world that we've all been living in for the last uh, few years, especially in the last uh, year and a half during the pandemic, I think people have had a little bit of a misunderstanding about the role of humans in the future of manufacturing in particular. Um, you've read a lot of headlines over the last few years around robots taking over and automation. Um, the reality is very, very different. There are tremendous shortages. And when I talk to my customers, whether it's domestically here in North America or globally, I was actually in Europe last week, um, the phenomenon of shortage of skilled workers and workers that want to be part of the future of manufacturing is huge. So the whole genesis of this is related to the understanding of the world around where will we get humans to come and work in manufacturing? And clearly, as we think about you know, the various generations, whether it's baby boomers that are retiring, whether it's Generation X, my generation, or Millennials, or Generation Z, it's really, really important to understand what is their perspective on working in the industrial space. So that was the genesis. It's a fundamental issue for our global customers around hiring and retaining talent. And clearly one of the biggest pools that's available now and in the near term is, is Generation Z. So that was the genesis to the to this research. That is amazing. So, and your, your survey was conducted right in the middle of the pandemic. So what did you find? Like what happened to the COVID-19 pandemic and how that shifted Generation Z's perception of the manufacturing industry, you think? Yeah, no, absolutely. So um, even pre-pandemic, um, there's been a lot of uh, observations around what's really going on in the industrial world. As I mentioned, um, the phenomenon of baby boomers, what's often known as the gray tsunami retiring has been very, very front of mind to companies before the pandemic, but that's actually accelerated during the pandemic. You, you don't need to be a math expert to know that you know baby boomers are 56 and above, and they're retiring um, 
you know, hugely. And so what we thought we would really understand is had things changed during the pandemic, because there's very few benefits of the pandemic, but one of the benefits or derivative benefits is the fact that we no longer need to explain what a frontline worker is. We wouldn't be eating. We wouldn't be commuting without frontline workers. And so the the approach we took was really to primarily research, you know, would they understand what are the opportunities and the labor shortages that were fueled by the pandemic um, are going to become an ongoing issue and then shifts in perception of work, equality, wages. Um, and then obviously with the what I'm calling the renaissance of frontline workers, we really want to understand what it meant for Generation Z. Right. And and one of the key data points that I found fascinating from your report is that 65% of the participants believed that entry-level manufacturing jobs paid less than industry average salary for, for people who just started their career. But in reality, entry-level manufacturing jobs starts at $60,000 per year, whereas Glassdoor say that the average entry job in general in the U.S. is only 28000 So that's a massive perception gap. Um, why do you think this gap persists despite all the other advancement and achievements we have accomplished in the, few, in the last few decades? Yeah, so um, I actually looked at the data from a positive perspective rather than a negative perspective. So 65% were saying that they didn't think that the jobs were paying well enough, but actually 35% did, which is a higher percentage than I thought. I thought it might actually be more like an 80-20 rule. So to some extent, that's positive, meaning that the perception and the reality were maybe coming closer in terms of, as you state, you know, the, the average starting salary in manufacturing is higher than the average starting salary in most other sectors. Um, it was a little bit of a surprise for me personally that the actual volume of 35% that were aware of it. I think the reality is this is a perception issue. So people still generally think on average that manufacturing is noisy, it's dirty, um, that it may be boring. The reality is that it's actually very advanced. You go into most factories around the world, um, you'll see mobile devices, you'll see technology that's pervasive now in these frontline working jobs. So, yes, there are still extremes of uh, reality that have been sort of guiding perception. But when you actually look within these organizations, you'll actually see that there are modern digital tools, there's advanced robotics, and increasingly, manufacturing companies are competing with technology. And I think that's what's really changing is that the reality of frontline work becoming technology enabled and these roles becoming an opportunity to upskill and reskill has really sort of ignited, I think, the interest in, um, in these Generation Zs. And although the percentage is less than 50%, 65% saying they didn't see it as a good opportunity, if we can continue to actually market the reality of modern digital tools for frontline workers, the ability to actually enhance your career options. And by the way, it is a fulfilling role. I think will really help change these perceptions. That's a really good point. You know, I, I always feel like at Thomas, we believe that growth in manufacturing is growth for all. And there are a lot of invisible threats that put together our day-to-day -day experience that people don't see as economic activities. Like the mic that I'm using, throughout this podcast or the keyboard that I'm typing on. And what is interesting about manufacturing, as we know, is if you care about the environment, if you care about circular economy and creating job opportunities, 
actually being part of that invisible economic layer is a very powerful thing. So when you when you talk to your survey participants, did they share any thoughts on how to further improve the perception of the industry amongst those young people? Yeah, they, they certainly did. And I think this is a really, really important um, opportunity. I think it's an existential opportunity and an ex existential risk if you're a manufacturer, you don't take this things this seriously. So in addition to these jobs being a lot more uh, fulfilling, a lot more uh, tech enabled, there is also the opportunity to really uh, in, in, embellish the perception into a direction which is around sustainability. If you think around Generation Z millennials, um, the world has voted that we need a more sustainable future. And whether it's the circular economy around single use plastics or whether it's CO2 emissions, the opportunity for the world to really embrace manufacturing in a more sustainable world is a very, very interesting way to harness the enthusiasm for Generation Z in this sustainability objective. And I think that's what's really interesting is that the world has voted. There's no longer going to be a future of manufacturing being not sustainable if you abstract it to ESG. And this is so front and center of the personal beliefs of many, many Generation Zs. And I think you've got the tremendous opportunity that they can be part of that future because the future is no longer an option. It has to be more sustainable. It has to be responsible around ESG. And this is so very much a, you know, a mission-driven world that the uh, Generation Z lives in. And I think you can bring those two things together. So I see it as a tremendous opportunity for manufacturers to harness this enthusiasm for sustainability of the Generation Z. And obviously, Generation Z can be part of that future, which is a more sustainable world. And, and Lawrence, I think one really interesting point about what you're saying is manufacturing is at the intersection of humanity technology and, 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 and positively potentially influencing the future of our world, right? It sounds like it should be a no-brainer. Everyone who graduates from school would want to be part of that. Um, and, and at Thomas, we've been really advocating creating more uh, entry point for everyone who is interested in, in technology, data, and manufacturing. What do you think are the, the barriers for us to get our message across more with the young, young folks out there? And, uh, and I have my answer here. I'm curious about yours. Yeah, so um, it's not all bad news or bad perception. Um, certain countries around the world actually have done a tremendous job, particularly in Asia Pacific, where the aspirational, and by the way, I'm not just talking about uh, China, I'm talking about throughout the region, particularly Southeast Asia, the, the aspirational uh, youth in those areas has, been in, has really been engaging in manufacturing for a number of years because they're seen as actually very, very interesting jobs, whereas maybe other parts of the world, you know, North America, my original uh, birthland of the UK, maybe didn't do a great job of recognizing the importance of these jobs because a lot of them were seen, as I mentioned, as dirty, noisy, and maybe something you should ship offshore. Um, the reality is that you've got to start the whole perception change at the academic level, so at schools. Um, if you can actually do the things that certain countries, China in particular, Germany have been doing it for many years, which is to make uh, educational facilities really aware of these types of jobs and the fact that the jobs exist and the time of training courses. So I think what really needs to occur is there needs to be even stronger partnerships with academic institutions to capitalize on this interest earlier and then more explicitly communicate the path to better wages and career growth and upskilling opportunities 
And then thirdly is to really make sure people understand that the technology and digital tools can enhance the daily lives of these frontline workers. So there's those sort of three things. It's really introducing it very early into the educational process, making sure we're very explicit about the opportunities for good salaries, good wages and good career growth. And then thirdly, really stress the fact that these jobs are increasingly tech enabled. So your ability to enhance the daily lives of frontline workers through technology is really there. It's interesting. I'm just going to build upon what you're saying, Lawrence. So I, um, I, I was originally born and raised in Hong Kong and spent my adult life in London, growing my career and to work for a German company. So I was very aware of how incredible their apprenticeship culture is, really. So a lot of young folks, even before they graduated, they were able to work around the world in different programs just to understand how things are created, how things are made. I think what is interesting when you compare Asia and Europe, there's sometimes a very clear understanding about the strength of manufacturing by specific output. I'll use semiconductor as an example, right? So during the COVID crisis, um, at Thomas, we talked to a lot of manufacturers as well as distributors, and we understood that during you know the, the whole disruption around supply chain, a shipment from Asia went from $1,500, sometimes north of $16,000. And you may not even be able to queue up to get your goods into the containers. Um, and, and, and what is interesting is if you then look at Wall Street Journal latest report on semiconductor manufacturing distribution, a majority of high capacity chips were made in either South Korea or Taiwan and 80% in Taiwan. And, and, I think, and, and I think what is interesting is with the new reshoring initiative and the current administration 100-day supply chain uh, review plan, there, there are a lot of excitement and, and actual investment put aside to help reshore some of those advanced manufacturing capability. Um, I think what I'm trying to say is there are going to be a lot of exciting opportunities. And how do you see Parsable as taking a role in it? Are, do you see yourself as a professional advocate or are you going to be in collaboration with other organizations? Yeah, so it's, it's a great question. You, you, you raised the point about um, you know, onshoring or nearshoring. Um, and it's, you know, it's against a background of you know, 30 years of let's move all manufacturing jobs uh, you know, offshore, whether it's into LATAM or into... Asia Pacific, um, the pandemic has clearly uh, been an awakening call for all manufacturers, you know, whether it's around the chip business, which I think everyone knows. But, you know, where I live in Southern California, you just have to look off of the shores and see around Long Beach, you'll see the biggest ever queue of container ships trying to get into the ports. Um, there's not enough people to unload them. There's not enough people to ship them. So this supply chain shock that everyone has had um, is really an awakening that we need to take really, really close attention to because um, the shortages that are already in place around the, you know, the automotive space um, are not going to get corrected until another until next year. And you don't really need to look beyond every day to read something around shortages of something. Toys is the latest thing. There's a, an article that came out over the weekend that you need to buy your toys before the holiday season because there's going to be a shortage. So really where our role is, is around the fundamentals of changing the daily lives of frontline workers. And what we mean by that is that if you give them a modern digital tool, you can drive productivity, you can drive quality, and you can drive safety at scale. And then all of that leads into the whole sustainability role. So what we want to be is part of the mission of making frontline work more efficient, 
higher quality output, greater safety, and then ultimately a more sustainable world. And I think partnering with organizations that fundamentally understand the opportunity, but also the challenge, which is communicating the opportunity. So we partner with our customers. We partner with almost anyone that is fundamentally trying to drive the awareness of the opportunity to bring these fundamentally important roles back to front and center of people that want uh, want a more fulfilling career. So we want to partner with our customers. We want to partner with um, any organization that can help us really market the amazing opportunity and the fact that these modern digital tools can actually harness the future of manufacturing for the better for individuals and obviously for the world. Amazing, Lawrence. So given what you experienced for the last 18 months, plus this survey, are there any other interesting takeaways you like our audience to know about? Yeah, so I think there's a there's a couple of other um, interesting uh, things that are always based on facts. So um, irrespective of the pandemic, um, pre-pandemic, post-pandemic, 80% um, of the world's working population, um, unlike you and I today, do not sit at a desk. So um, it's also a fact that the number of people out there that are doing frontline work, whether it's manufacturing, whether it's distribution, is the majority of the world's working population. Unfortunately, if you live in New York or London or San Francisco, you have a view that actually it's, it's high-tech jobs or it's banking and finance. The reality is I want everyone to realize that irrespective of what's going on with the pandemic, frontline work is the majority of work in the world. That's the, the first point. Um, the second point I think is really, really important is this going back to this theme of you know, the circular economy. Um, the awareness of technology and how it can drive sustainability in the manufacturing process, supply chain process, is something that I think we can all really get behind because it's a fact. It's without doubt the biggest challenge the world has. Short-term shortages of you know, chips uh, are minor compared to the opportunity we have to make the world better in terms of sustainability. So I would really sort of think about not just these great jobs, not just about the impact of, on, on the future of work of the pandemic, but also really get everyone to focus on that by driving technology and the awareness of these jobs to the masses, we can absolutely continue to grow GDP in every country in the world, but in a more sustainable way. Um, and then the final thing I would say is that, um, you know, there's a lot of discussions have been going around um, over the last few years, particularly out of Silicon Valley around automation. Um, I say this to my children, uh, and I say it to as many people as possible. Um, it's a lot easier to automate my job away, and maybe your job away, Kathy, than it is for frontline work. So the other thing I would say is that actually, when you think about automation, you think about robotics, you think about AI, all tremendously valuable subjects. But the role of frontline workers in manufacturing and distribution is not going to go away because of those advances in technology. The roles are going to change for sure, but they're not going away. Technology replaces medial work and boring work, but this technology in the frontline work can really make these jobs be the jobs of choice as opposed to let me go into a bank or let me go into a, you know, to work for a technology company. And Lauren, what you said is extremely astute. I think when we live on the coastline, sometimes you have a different perception on the total population and the, and, and the kind of distribution of opportunities. And I think I want to tie back to one aspect of, of, of Parsable, right? Parsable is a platform, as you said, that enable frontline workers to work more safely through the use of data and real-time 
insights of, of systems and processes. Um, when we talk to manufacturers, a lot of outside people would think that uh, they would think of the Siemens, the 3Ms, the Caterpillar, the gigantic companies. But across Thomas' 560,000 manufacturers listed um, from Canada and the USA, we know that we know that 81% of those companies have less than $10 million revenue. So there are a lot of little, smaller businesses that are the fabric that power our economy, right? So for your platform and, and the fact that you, you interface with so many different companies, who do you think are the ideal customer types that can use SaaS software like you guys to start modernizing their understanding of, of how they operate and, and enhance worker safety and productivity? Yeah, it's a great question. And it's actually um, a fundamental issue with the way that technology has been delivered for the last 20, 30 years, which is that to some extent, it's been somewhat of a discriminatory approach because the cost to deploy a large enterprise manufacturing solution um, over the last 20, 30 years has just been beyond the majority of the market. And as you say, there's a very, very, very long tail of uh, companies in the manufacturing space. You've obviously got the iconic, very large brands and they're important. But as you mentioned, you start to go down the different sizes right through to the mum and pup shops. Um, the benefits of cloud-based solutions that are mobile first um, means that you can provide a platform like Passable to a 20-person company. That was fundamentally impossible from a business model perspective five years ago, certainly 10 years ago. So the interesting thing is, is that even very large companies are actually uh, subsets of very small companies, meaning you've got manufacturing locations that even within large corporates, you might have a location that would never get that technology that the corporate had bought because it was just too cost and time prohibitive. So the way I think about our technology is it really is democratizing manufacturing and supply chain software to the masses. And what we mean the masses is that it, you can start with Passable with 10, 20 users, where in the past technology would mean I need to invest a million dollars and a year and et cetera. So that's another really interesting benefit is that I think you're going to now unlock a massive amount of new efficiency because smaller companies, as you say, right down to that 10 million zone, um, that in the past could never afford technologies like Passable. Now it's possible because they've been architected from a cloud-based perspective, mobile first, and a subscription model means you can democratize the availability to everyone. And by the way, I can guarantee one thing. What I can't tell you is whether it's one year, two year, or five years, there will not be anyone in any manufacturing company executing work with a six inch binder of paper in the future. So having technology that can actually facilitate this right down to the commercial zone of a smaller company, I think is super important. And that's the benefit of technology like Passable. They've been architected for the masses as opposed to in the past manufacturing or perhaps all advanced technology was really aimed at a very large company. That's incredible. And so if some of our manufacturers are listening to to you talking about um, Parsable and this capability, where they can find out, where can they find out more about um, your company? Yeah, so um, although we're uh, obviously we're not a garage startup anymore, I always, people can feel free to reach out to me. It's Lawrence at Parsable.com or you can go straight to Parsable.com. And for those uh, smaller companies, you'll see that there's a, a free trial. Um, there's also a package called Get Connected, which is all about getting people up and running very, very quickly. So Passable.com or Lawrence at Passable.com 
uh, feel free to you know ping us and uh, we'll certainly uh, be delighted to follow up with anyone that's interested in this new generation of technology for frontline workers. Great. So, Lawrence, obviously you're a fascinating person, right? Like you, you, you grew up in the UK and decided to move to US and, and, and disrupt the whole manufacturing sector. Um, I, I have two questions, but I'll start with question number one. As a successful leader, what are the three habits you rely on to help you set yourself up for success on a daily basis? Yeah, great question. Um, so, although I've spent my whole career, 20 plus years in, uh, in enterprise technology, uh, my father used to wear a hard hat. So, uh, you know, I came from a, a background of frontline workers, although I've been in technology, global technology for the last uh, two decades. You know, the first habit is I wake up every morning reminding myself of where I came from, which is that my family were blue collar workers, as they used to be called back then. Um, frontline work is really important. So I always sort of think about that the world that I live in is way, way more than where I've been for the last 15 years, you know, California and Silicon Valley. Um, the second thing is, is, and I really encourage this in terms of people that have a, an interest in, in manufacturing, is to be curious. So I set myself an hour every day to do primary research. I read and read and read because curiosity, I think, is really, really important in this world of noise. And particularly if you have a curious mind, you can have a very, very interesting you know, life in manufacturing because it's way more interesting to see how a product's made than how you know money has moved around the banking system so curiosity is the second habit I, I make sure that i i read once a day and then the third piece is that i really try to make sure that i talk to one customer and at least one employee that i haven't spoken to for a week um every day that's another benefit of the pandemic i could never have done that before you know the pervasiveness of video conferences but i try to always calm carve out a piece of my day to talk to specific people in my company or customers to hear firsthand what they think about my company, what's going on in the world, et cetera. So they're my three things. Remember where I came from in terms of my humble beginning. Secondly, be curious to read. And then thirdly, reach out to people that uh, you know, can give me the primary research on what's going on in my business. And, and my follow-up question is, uh, to someone that's on the fence, thinking about whether or not they want to come into manufacturing and work in tech, like um, the, the platform that you created, um, what reason would you, would you use to convince them? Yeah, so I, I think the, the real reason is that the, the trade-off compared to other industries is really, really uh, interesting. You've got increasingly very, very well-paid jobs. Obviously, we all need to earn money to to build uh, our, our careers, plus those jobs are incredibly stimulating. So if you want a fulfilling career where you sometimes in the past had to trade off you know, financial earnings for an exciting career, you've actually got the opportunity to, to harness both now because they're increasingly well paid, they will get increasingly better paid over time, and they're fascinating jobs because really understanding how things are made, how things are consumed, uh, for me, is way, way more interesting than some of the more traditional service industries, such as banking, finance and high tech, which are all important. Don't get me wrong. But it's really about harnessing, you know, increased job satisfaction with the ability to actually earn well as well. And I think that's where the future uh, of manufacturing can take us. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Thomas Industry Update podcast. To learn more about Lawrence, Parsable and their research on Gen Z, Check out the links provided in the show notes of today's podcast.